Welcome to the InfoSec Battlefield, where cyber threats and compliance converge. Here's your host, Carl B. Johnson. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of InfoSec Battlefield. Today's topic is about commercial manufacturers that also do business with defense contractors in the federal government. I can easily say over the years, I've had at least 100 conversations with manufacturers that yesterday they were only manufacturing widgets that say their customer was Walmart. And now they are doing business with large defense contractors like your Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, etc. What normally catches these manufacturers off guard is the amount of regulations that is involved when you are doing business with a defense contractor or with the federal government. What also puts these commercial contractors off is the amount of oversight that is involved when you are a federal contractor, because that's exactly what you are now. You went from just developing a widget, which was fine, to now changing that skew and developing that same widget for a defense contractor or a federal agency. In this episode, I want to talk with you about some of the things that you need to consider as a manufacturer. This applies to whether you supply a widget for a space shuttle, you supply a widget for a tank, or some part or piece that is used that you don't have any information or detail uh, to. You're just being told you need to develop this widget and send this widget to your customer. If you are a commercial manufacturer, security and compliance is normally not your biggest concern, right? You may be familiar with ISO, such as like ISO 2700. You may also be familiar with CMMI, which is for your your security and your organization um, and business practices. But when you are a federal contractor, you also need to be familiar with uh, terms such as NIST 800-171. You need to be familiar with DFARS. Uh, You may also be familiar or have to be familiar with COI. Um, If you're dealing with a defense contractor, You're likely dealing with ITAR data. So now you have to say to yourself, as an organization, how much risk are we putting ourselves in by not addressing these additional layers of compliance and cybersecurity controls that are, are required? When I'm talking with manufacturers, The one thing I hear over and over again is that up until this time, it was not a requirement for us to prove that 
we are well, that our our compliance in cybersecurity hygiene was up to snuff or at at a, a standard. Many years ago, it was just a you you when you received your contract. The question was was is all the how do you protect your information? You said this is how we protect our information, and that was good enough. Now, because we have CMMC level two requirement from the DOD, we have NIST 800-171. Now it requires you to not only just tell me that you are compliant, but now also you have to demonstrate. If you are new to the uh, federal compliance space, you may hear the words CMMC 2.0 be thrown around everywhere. You you Google, every company now offers CMMC 2.0 assessments and audits and helping you um, uh, become compliant for level two, let's say. But it starts before that. As an organization, you have to look at the yourself and say, where where is our risk? And I say that is that everything you were doing yesterday as an organization has now changed. One great example is that many of the manufacturers I talk to that are commercial now going into federal contracting, they were storing their data, let's say, in Gmail or storing their data in Hotmail or in, in Office 365 commercial tenant which that may have been okay for if you're a manufacturer and you're only um, providing widgets to a Walmart or, or a commercial customer. But that is not okay if you're doing business with the federal government or with a defense contractor. To give you an example, if you are doing business with a defense contractor, and let's say you're making a widget that goes onto a space shuttle, or goes into a tank or anything like that, you are required to take that technical data, that data that that you're storing wherever, and make sure that data is secure. And when I say secure, meaning the data should not be hosted outside the United States, right? So in some servers over in Asia somewhere, or in Europe somewhere, has to be stored inside the United States. Also, that data should only be viewed by U.S. citizens, right? So a lot of organizations, they say, well, we, we know we're, we're storing the data internally, right? We're storing the data inside of our own servers, and so that's good enough. We're not putting it in the cloud, so that's good enough. And I'm here to tell you that's not good enough. The conversations I have with customers is we have an enclave on-premise that is not in the cloud, and that'll be good enough for us to stay compliant. That is not good enough. And the reason why I say that's not good enough is that those servers that you have still has to have the same upkeep, such as making sure that your controls, your NIST 800-171 controls, or if we're talking about CMMC 2.0, the controls itself, you have to still have the same assessment as you would if you were if you had information in the cloud. 
Additionally, that server room where you have that those servers and that enclave still has to go through the exact same controls, such as logging and ACL, right? Who has access to that information has to go through the exact same thing as if it was in the cloud. To say that you are storing your information on premise and that it's safe is not okay. You have to go through the rigorous, um, uh, the rigorous uh, challenges of making sure that all your data that you have is accounted for. I'll give you another example. Some customers I, I talk to, when they're working with CUI, they don't separate the CUI from their business information. It's kind of all jumbled together. For instance, a lot of organizations only only you know five or ten percent of the business they do is with the government. Their procurement department is spending time on their commercial customers and very little time on their federal customers or their defense contractors. So when it's time to actually organize and store federal information, which is your COI, there's not much processes involved. Then the reason why you should stop and, and kind of reassess is that things like this is how you get your company into high risk levels, right? As a CISO, if I was to come into your organization and I see that you're storing COI, ITAR, uh, any type of data along with your normal day-to-day -day business information, and there's no type of classification of data, such as sensitivity levels, if it's, if it's confidential, if it's public information, if it's COI, automatically you would receive an F or a failed score. You have to look at data that you're storing for the government or for defense contractors at the utmost national security. I know you might say, well, it's just a widget that we're making, right? We were making the exact same widget when, when we were commercial. We just changed the SKU number, and now we're making it for the federal government. But the 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 name of the this this very episode is is all about the optics, right? So think for a second. Even though that that widget, you may not think that 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 widget is is national security or would cause alarm if someone was to get the blueprints or the plans about or CAD drawings. Think about how it looks in the newspaper if your organization was breached. If your organization was breached, how it would read in a newspaper is defense contractor manufacturer was breached and blueprints along with CAD drawings is now available on the, on the dark web. From an optics perspective, that sounds bad. That sounds like you are building uh, nuclear missiles at your warehouse or at your manufacturing plant and you've lost all that information, right? Even though you may only be building very small piece of maybe a screw, a little widget, it's still, it's all about the optics. As an organization, you want to always think, how can we make sure 
that we are always protected. How can we make sure that our perimeter, perimeter, and that includes physical along with information and data, how can we make sure that our perimeter is always protected? You don't want to be in a reactive mode, whereas you've found out that your organization was breached a few months ago, and now you've decided that you want to spend time and money and resources on fixing the problem. And I, f- I find too often at a time, that's exactly how organizations deal with uh, information breach, security, and compliance. Rather, fix the problems ahead of time, right? Where I was talking about NIST 800-171 and DFARS and understanding your controls. That's always the best way to deal with your organization and your data and risk. You never want to deal with it after the fact. Once you have a, you've had a breach, your reputation is now doomed. Your customers will never trust you again. And more importantly, those federal contracts that you had before, because you sign on a contract that you uh, are responsible for securing the government's data, that would likely lead to you not being able to do business with the federal government ever again. Taking time out and making sure that compliance and cybersecurity is uh, a, a larger concern for your organization will save you lots of time and sleepless nights later. A perfect example, and I see this often, is that an organization will sometimes, even before they receive any kind of federal contracts or doing business with the doing business with a defense contractor, they will make sure their organization stands up against the most rigorous uh, NIST 800-171 controls, even beforehand. So for many organizations, you may already deal with uh, ISO 2700, which in some ways is very similar to NIST 800-171 or NIST 853, very similar. So I always say, and I advise to organizations, if you're going to spend the time and become ISO 2700 uh, certified, then take the extra time and energy and go down the path of looking at what is required to become NIST 800-171 and CMMC CMMC, uh, level 2.0, I mean 2.0 level 2 compliant. And I'll, I'll say this again, if you are using Gmail, if you're using uh, Office 365, commercial tenant to store ITAR or to store to, to store CUI, um, this is something that you want to address immediately, right? Again, you don't want to be in a position where you've had a data breach and now you're going to be scrutinized even more. That's when you start to peel away the onion and start to look at exactly how are you storing all your data, not just the federal federal data, but all your data, right? Are you providing classifications to your data? 
do you know where your data is? Which I think a lot of companies do not. And here's a great, great example. If you are an organization and you're emailing, let's say blueprints, uh, technical data, CUI, to your, your vendors, to your suppliers, well, how, how are they storing your data, right? Where, where are they located? One customer that we worked with a few months ago, one of their suppliers was in China. They won a contract with the federal government and that supplier continued to be uh, their customer. The portal that they uploaded all of their blueprints and all of their information to all of their suppliers remained available to the, the supplier that was in China. So anything related to technical data was now available to those suppliers. What our customer did not understand is that there is restrictions around ITAR on which countries the United States does business with, especially without a license. In order to do business with some countries, you need to apply for a license through DDTC and the State Department. This part was not clear to our, our customer, which we helped them out with, but none of us say there is many manufacturers that they just want to focus on manufacturing. The overhead of compliance, the overhead of cybersecurity, they do not want to be involved in that part of the business. But even though you don't want to be involved in it, soon as you sign the line that you are you want to become a federal contractor and you want to do business with a defense contractor, you're now in another ball league. You now you're now when it comes to compliance, you're you're now looking at things entirely different than you did before. Another example I want to give you is that when you're a commercial manufacturer, you're not necessarily looking for the most uh, expensive, let's say, hosting for your website or the most expensive domain register or, you know, your, your, where you're storing your, your documents and your information. Soon as you become a federal contractor, that's when it's time to say, hey, how did we do business last year, right, when we were commercial? We need to reevaluate how we do business this year now that we're a federal contractor. You cannot use ignorance as your defense. If you are audited by the federal government or even a defense contractor, you cannot say to them, oh, we didn't know, right? The information is available. The information is out there. You're signing contracts that you're doing these things, that you are compliant. So you cannot use the defense that we didn't know any better, and that's why we are not compliant. And make sure that in your next stakeholder meeting with upper management, with the, your executive team, that you bring in the risk that is associated with compliance and which is so, and also associated with your, your customers that are defense contractors. You want to most definitely remain uh, a pro proactive as much as possible. Never be on the lines that you are, are reactive. And for instance, I talked with one customer and I asked them, how many times has your company been attacked? 
And what I mean by attack, meaning someone from the outside or inside, if we're talking about insider threat, try to access information such as your technical data, COI, different things like that. How many times? And the customer did not know, right? So you, that that's something that you want to always know a number, right? And if you don't know that number, you you want to, again, reevaluate your systems and your processes that you have in place. It's the same thing when we're talking about penetration testing, right? I see it all the time when I'm when we're when we're going and signing up a new customer. The customer provides us with all of their penetration testing that they have done. And I look at when the last time when's the last time they did penetration testing, and it was six months ago. Well, that that information is out of date. As an organization, you have changed, your systems have changed. People have come, people have gone, you have installed software, you've taken software off. Penetration testing is not a number that you want to use to decide what's your actual risk. Instead, you want to use uh, how many times have you been attacked as an organization, meaning someone tried to infiltrate your systems. And then also, how many times were you able to prevent these attacks, right? Just doing penetration test scans does not give you a clear number, right? It's just looking at what weaknesses you have in your system, but it doesn't necessarily tell you what, how many times you were attacked and how many times you, were avoid, they were, you avoid being attacked. Look at things differently than you would before. Again, now you're in a, an entirely different league when it comes to compliance and security. In future episodes, we'll discuss deeper into some of the remedies and some of the ways that you as an organization can protect yourself. And more importantly, make sure that you are not in tomorrow's news as, as uh, one of the many companies that are being breached. You always want to keep security and compliance in front and understand where your company stands. Thank you for listening and please subscribe and join us next week for our next episode. If you have any questions whatsoever, please leave comments or um, contact us through our, our website where you can get more information about this episode and future episodes. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of InfoSec Battlefield, where defense meets the digital domain. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode.